0: I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Laura Robu. She's here to talk about her new oracle deck, the Nourished Heart Oracle. You can follow her and find out more information at her Instagram, the thepsilosopher, that's the underscore P-S-Y-L-O-S-O-P-H-E-R, at Instagram. You can also follow me on social media at rawsin underscore, R-A-W-S-I-N underscore, at Instagram and Twitter. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23carl. As always, huge thanks to everyone in our Patreon community. Your support is so appreciated. Rendering Unconscious is also a book, Rendering Unconscious Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics and Poetry, available from Trapar Books. For more information, visit the publisher's website trapar.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T.net. As always, you can find links to everything we talk about at Rendering Unconscious main website. Rendering unconscious.org. You can also visit my website, drvanessa
1: I am currently working on an oracle deck called the Nourished Heart Oracle, um, and it's really um, it's an anti-diet trauma-informed Oracle deck. so it kind of tries to marry mental health um, and the Oracle um, Oracle deck uh, together. And it's for body appreciation and self-reflection and empowerment. And so I'm working on a Kickstarter right now, a Kickstarter campaign to get that Oracle deck funded so that I can get it out printed, and distributed. Um, And yeah, I'm grateful to be here to be able to talk about it.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad to have backed it. I'm really looking forward to it. And it comes with the deck and also a book if that's the level that people choose.
1: Yes, it does. So yeah, there's a little guidebook that comes with it, which is pretty typical of Oracle decks or tarot cards, if people are familiar with those. Um, And The Oracle deck itself is uh, just about 30 cards, although I'm thinking about expanding that out to more. I'm getting really inspired the more I work on it. So it'll be somewhere about 30 cards, maybe more, um, and each card has a page in the guidebook that goes along with it. Um, And the guidebook's really more focused on prompts and questions for self-reflection and then embodiment exercises or polyvagal exercises to kind of help people practice what they're reading about in the guidebook so it's really very focused on on body acceptance body appreciation and embodiment um so i'm kind of hoping to provide some psychoeducation to people while also allowing them to engage with the oracle deck in a more traditional way the way they would with like tarot cards or other things like that
0: and how did your idea for the deck come about
1: um so it's the deck is very personal for me. Um I started my own treatment for an eating disorder this year. So um I entered into a partial hospitalization program to address my eating disorder which is something that I've struggled with for about 13 years. And so in treatment is where I started doing a lot of art. There's a lot of focus on art therapy in my treatment program and so I really started kind of creating collages mostly, as you'll see, my Oracle deck is more um collage and digital art kind of focused, but I wasn't planning on creating an Oracle deck. I'm just a huge fan of tarot and Oracle cards in general. And so when I entered into treatment and we were doing all this artwork, I naturally think gravitated towards that kind of art. Um and so it just felt natural to create my own oracle deck since I was using tarot pretty much every day for, for self-reflection for myself. Um, I thought it would be cool to have something that's more geared towards mental wellness and eating disorder specifically. Um, so yeah, it really comes from a personal place for me. I've I've struggled with an eating disorder for 13 years. Um, I didn't think I had an eating disorder at all until this year when I entered into treatment. Uh, I was kind of in denial and thought, you know, yeah, I have some disordered eating habits, but I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, And then lo and behold, I started reaching out for help. And I got these providers kind of telling me, you know, we may have to put you into residential. Um, And so that's when that that was like a wake up call for me um, to enter into treatment. So I guess I just want to help people out the way that treatment has helped me. Um, I know a lot of people can't afford treatment or maybe they don't have the privilege of taking time off of work um, to enter into treatment. And so I want to do something small um, to contribute to people's healing.
0: That's wonderful. And I love the aesthetics and the collage work of the cars. It's really beautiful. And, and the, the way that you use like the cut up boards in the deck.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I well, actually, I am inspired a lot by your artwork too. I know you do some collage work as well, um, and I just like collage in general as a medium because I think it's it's kind of like almost piecing together ideas from other people. It's like a collective piece of artwork, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do see healing as a collective um, venture, really. Um, so just borrowing, you know, bits and pieces from magazines or from other people's art or from, I I cut up a book, you know, and cut out words from a book. Um, just piecing those together, I think is really powerful. Um, and I think gets the message across that, like, this is a, a communal effort when it comes to healing.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely true. And that's so important. And I love on your Instagram too, you often like, have like kind of messaging that can be helpful for people as well. And you recently posted to pay attention to those who are only present when things go wrong in your life and disappear when things go right. They likely don't want what's best for you and it's okay to distance yourself from them. That is so true. Yes. Yes.
1: A lot of those um, statements that I post on my Instagram, I think are just self-reflections that I've done like in treatment or that I do in my own journaling. Um, and they're really kind of mantras or affirmations for me to like repeat to myself. And I think, I hope that other people find them useful. I know when I follow Instagram accounts, I love seeing like quotes or, um, little, um, little pieces of advice from other people. And so, yeah, I do do like to do that a lot as well. And sometimes I'll just be driving and different phrases will come into my mind and I'm like, okay, I'll have to post that later. So. I really enjoyed doing that
0: yeah like it's the same thing like sharing things that have helped you you know maybe it will help somebody else
1: absolutely absolutely yeah I think there's such a need for um body acceptance and body appreciation right now and so I really want to contribute to that as much as I can especially with I don't know if you keep up with like pop culture, like celebrity news, (laughs) but I do think celebrities have such a huge impact, especially on young people. Mm -hmm. And I'm 30 years old. And I just remember growing up how much I looked up to celebrities and how much of an influence they had on my own body image and diet culture in general. And just recently with all the different um, celebrities kind of starting to lose weight again and, the media reporting on how that skinny aesthetic is coming back. It really worries me um, that we're falling back into these unhealthy patterns um, or unhealthy expectations for people in terms of what their body should look like or shouldn't look like. So another big piece of it for me is just like, we need to address this as a culture. I think at least in the United States where I live, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, And I don't want to see young people fall into this rabbit hole of disordered eating the way that I did.
0: Yeah. And it's really such a shame. Cause like you said, there seemed to be like a shift mm-hmm. more towards body positivity and then to yes. see it kind of shifting back in the media in that way is really yes. disappointing.
1: It is because for so many years, it was all about like the curvy look and you know um, bigger bodies. And I, I do think advertising agencies, for example, have done a much better job of, being body inclusive and, um, showcasing models who are not, you know, of a really small size all the time. So that's been great, but I think it's disappointing when we take a step back when we've made so much progress. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think ultimately the goal would be to stop focusing on, on bodies as, um, an ideal or non-ideal, And I think it'd be great to just be able to move away from that and not objectify people. But as long as we do that, I think we're going to either move forward and practice body acceptance or we're going to move back or both. So.
0: And I think I've been thinking about it a lot lately too about um like how young models often are yes. you know it's like not only are they really really underweight a lot of the time but a lot of time they're just really young that's you so true. <laughs> and then you're putting like 13 14 year old girls in yes. you know in magazines for adult women
1: you know oh, that's so true yeah that's a good point too in terms of like ageism um I think yeah we have an obsession with small bodies and with looking youthful And, yeah, that's such a good point. I think models' careers are pretty much done in, like, their 20s, (laughs) you know? So, yeah, there's a lot that needs to
0: be reworked, I think. Yeah, absolutely. What got you into mental health into the field in the first place?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think... Well, this is probably a, a multi-part answer, but I'll, I'll try to shorten it. I think one major reason I got into it is just the environment I grew up in with my parents. They always um, spoke about Carl Jung and his work, even though both of my parents are scientists. You know, they, they do physics um, and they're not in the mental health field at all. But for some reason, I think they just really admired Jung's work. Um, when i was growing up and i would hear them talk about it and i always found it really really fascinating so that was one big piece of it um i think another piece of it was actually in high school in my ap english class my advanced placement english class we did an entire unit on um reading texts from a psychoanalytic perspective so we kind of read you know some freudian stuff some Jungian stuff very basic psychoanalysis kind of stuff um But really fascinating. And we tried to interpret the texts we were reading, you know, literature from a psychoanalytic perspective. And that was like my two loves coming together. Um, And I actually ended up majoring, double majoring in English and psychology in college. Um, So those are kind of like the surface level reasons, I think, for why I entered into psychology. But I think deeper than that is my own stuff, which I didn't realize how deep rooted my own, you know, mental health and trauma was at the time when I started psychology. But just being in the field, I think most people who are in this field, at least the people I've met, are people who have struggled with their own mental health or they have been um, in families where mental illness was you know, a big part of their growing up. Um, so I think most people have a personal relationship with mental illness when they enter into this field. And I know I certainly do. I have my own mental health stuff. Um, but also my family, you know, there's a lot of trauma in my family. And I think subconsciously I wanted to resolve that somehow. Um, and, sometimes not in the healthiest ways. Um, I think I was trying to fix these old wounds that maybe I really couldn't fix. But I think at other times, you know, entering into a field like this is actually uh, adaptive. Um, it's, It's a way for me to take the pain that I've experienced and try to do something good with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing that they were doing like critical reading of literary texts yes. through psychoanalytic lens in high school. That's fantastic.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had a
0: really More good. More that, please. <laughs>
1: I know, I know. I was actually so I don't think I even realized how special that was until I ended up. So I taught high school English for a few years after college, and I didn't realize like. Mr. Wiswall was my, my high school English teacher. I mean, he was amazing. He actually had a PhD in English. Um, I don't know why he was teaching at the high school level, but I'm so glad he did. Um, so I got really lucky with my English class cause not a lot of schools
0: don't do that at all. Um, so that was wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Big props to him. Yeah. <laughs> <he had
1: some>. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
0: And so now you went from teaching and now you're studying to be a psychologist or?
1: Yes. So I just finished my, I just recently completed my requirements for my PsyD, my doctorate in psychology. Um, and actually I had to postpone graduation because of entering treatment. Um, so that was kind of a huge <laughs> disappointment, but I'm still, you know, I'm still chugging along and, um, so I've, I've completed my dissertation. I've completed my requirements and, um, I am working part-time right now at a hospital. Um, just seeing patients for, for outpatient therapy. Um, I'm going to be moving into doing some inpatient therapy as well. Um, and some health psychology with like rehab and cancer center and things like that. Um, but I'm just taking it slow, trying to reintegrate back into my work life. Um, and so yeah technically i'm a, a psychologist in training so i'm not licensed yet um i'm studying for a licensing exam um the e um so hopefully i'll be licensed in a few months but yes i moved away from teaching not because i didn't like it i loved working with my students um i think i just burned out pretty quickly it was such a difficult environment to work in not necessarily because of the kids, although I did work in like more inner city kind of areas. So there was a lot of trauma there um, and a lot of just emotional dysregulation, which I completely understand. But I think it was more what made it difficult was the politics of education and the lack of resources. Mm. Um, you know, like my school, when I was in high school, I went to a really nice school with lots of resources, lots of funding, lots of like arts programs. Um and the schools that I taught in, I taught in two different schools, they had none of that, you know? And so the lack of resources and the, the short-staffed um, environments I was in were just pretty horrible. So I burned out very, very quickly. And really, while I was working with these students, I was thinking to myself, how are they expected to learn when there's so much trauma that they've experienced. And we have no resources for them. Like we didn't even have like school counselors in some of my schools. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think I was also inspired by like, yes, I want to teach. I love um, education. I love learning, but I don't think we can do that unless kids feel safe and kids feel connected and they can't feel safe and connected when they are, um, when they're traumatized. And so part of, I actually work with adolescents now as well. I work with kids in high school all the way through, you know, older adulthood. Um, so sometimes 70, 80, 90 year olds plus. Um, but I, I am really inspired by some of the kids I worked with when I was teaching high school. And, and I'd like to undo some of that trauma in order to hopefully help other people move on with their lives and, and learn
0: Absolutely. I love working with like teenagers and people yeah. in college and that kind of age when you can really make a difference, you know, yes. by being a supportive person in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so powerful
1: and it's such an honor to be able to do that. I um I actually in treatment met a lot of young women. I'm in an adult PhP program, but we have pretty young people come in, um, you know, 18, 19 year olds. And it even feels like a privilege to be able to work. You know, I'm not working with them in a therapeutic capacity, but just being um, kind of almost like a role model. It gives me a chance to maybe give them things that I didn't have when I was their age, um, like self-confidence or validation or affirmation. Um, So, yeah, it just feels like such an honor to be able to interact with young people whether that's through work or in, in my personal life.
0: Yeah. I feel like a lot of the work is like helping people see that there's other possibilities, like opening up possibilities for making a way forward in life, you know, because a lot of times there's a lot of trauma or you just know your kind of family or immediate environment. You just feel so stuck.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Um, And I think that's part of the reason too, with my Oracle deck, I really wanted to focus on trauma. Um, So it's really like, I'm I'm trying to split it into focus on disease, which I see as trauma and focus on wellness, which I see as healing. Um, Because I think for a long time, I myself felt very, very, very stuck. And once I started working through some of that stuff, um, it's almost like the world opened up for me. Like there's Mm -hmm. such a bigger world out there. My life is so much bigger now that I'm doing treatment um, than it was when I was in the throes of my eating disorder.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things too you you used to be or like when you become a psychoanalyst, you still have to go through your own treatment go through your own yes. analytic treatment but a lot of the schools like society phd programs oh, yeah. social work programs they don't require people to go through treatment yeah. in order to learn to become a therapist a psychologist whatever and i feel like that's such so sad because it's like mm-hmm. i understand i guess the politics again like you can't make people go to treatment but you should really uh have experience and worked on mm-hmm. your own stuff before you are on one side of it you know it's like you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. be on both sides. I 1000% agree.
1: Yeah. I think one of the really the best training I've gotten, I think in my journey so far has been in my own therapy and my own treatment. Mm-hmm. Like I've just been doing therapy since college basically on and off, um just working with different therapists and then now doing this PHP program. I think it's invaluable. Like you learn what it's like to be a patient um even in PHP right now, I mean, for me, it's really opened my eyes to how our systems can be really detrimental to our patients' healing. Not that, I, you know, I love my treatment center. I love the staff there, but the politics again, and the systems issues come up a lot. And I think that's opened my eyes to what a lot of my patients probably go through, especially at a hospital system, um, especially if they're marginalized or um, members of minority groups like I'm starting to understand just how traumatizing that can be Um, yeah so it's definitely I think it's definitely important for therapists in training and psychologists in training to do their own work and to continue to do their own work
0: yeah I'm very glad that the shift in the field is towards uh, looking at the systems Mm -hmm. um, and how these systems have created so much trauma especially for certain groups that have been marginalized like you said um but it's really like it's such a behemoth, like the system that yes. it's like okay. So at least some of us understand that. Right. And like, how do we get the systemic change going? Like, I know right. in like the American Psychological Association, like the more more recent conferences that they've had in the Division Thirty Nine, the Division of Psychoanalysis, have been much more geared towards looking at these kinds of systems and mm-hmm. structures and systemic racism and white supremacy and all these things, which is really great and it's just so nice to see that shift. But then I think mm-hmm. of like when I was working in a hospital in Brooklyn and like, you know, yeah how how stuck it was there and how understaffed, like you said, and how underfunded and how the psychiatrist just basically they had like every patient on like yes. five different medications that were like really serious medications, like antipsychotic yep. medications. <laughs> And then everybody was diagnosed with like schizophrenia and schizoaffective mm-hmm. disorder. And it's like, oh, it just happens to be that like all of these like people who are like black people a lower income are all mm-hmm. happen to be schizophrenic. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Like this is I don't trauma think so. that you're looking at. This yes. is systemic racism. This is systemic trauma. People That's have been awesome. put through the That's system since they were little kids like in foster care and they've been harassed by the police and the authorities. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, and like, how is that not, how has that not been the case that people have been looking at that all along is mind boggling yeah. to me. And just saying like, Oh, it just happens to be that, like, it just happens to be this, this swath of the population happens to be like schizophrenic when we know right. schizophrenia is only like one, 1% of the population yeah. actually, you know? Yeah. It's,
1: it's mind boggling for sure. I actually, I'm personally of the viewpoint um, that most of our mental health issues and even our physical health issues Mm -hmm. are actually just rooted in chronic stress and trauma. Really, they're all different variations of like a trauma disorder. Um, And I, I know that when we say trauma, what The average person typically thinks of is like PTSD or, you know, um, domestic violence or these like really significant, really serious um, events. But I think trauma really is. It's not only about what happened to us. It's also what didn't happen to us. Um, That can also be trauma. And there's so much chronic stress and chronic trauma in our culture. Um, And I don't think we recognize that enough. We just kind of see it as something that happens to a certain subset of people. And then that's why we end up, I think, di- over-diagnosing certain populations with um, certain mental illnesses when really at the root of like most of them, I would say it's just chronic stress and chronic trauma, whether that's racism or whether that's emotional neglect. Um, poverty is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Lack of resources, um, living in an emotionally invalidating environment, which for a lot of people of color in our country, it's that's our whole society is like emotionally invalidating people's experiences. So it's much more complex than just, oh, yeah, this subset of people happens to have schizophrenia. Um, Yeah, it's just it's a huge I think it's it's a huge project um, that I'll probably be involved in for the rest of my life. And it's also part of the reason why hopefully one day I would love to open up my own eating disorder clinic. Um, that way I can get involved in a more systems level um, kind of way and hopefully have a holistic approach to treating eating disorders, having a say in who I hire or how I train people. Like I would love to do, you know, a training program for therapists and practicum students and interns, um, and then hopefully provide some free or, or reduced services to people who can't necessarily afford that. Um, I mean, insurance is a whole nother issue too, you know, like I have really good insurance. So again, another, um, Another thing that I'm really privileged in, but a lot of people who enter eating disorder treatment don't have good insurance or they don't have coverage or they have to pay out of pocket and it's so expensive. Like PHP is $900 a day, a day. Like I don't know how people would afford it without insurance. And I've actually had some friends who were in treatment who had to leave because their insurance no longer covered it or whatever the reason, um, financial issues. So yeah, I would love to get involved on a more systems level and kind of open up my own my own clinic and do things the way I'd love to do them. Um, but that's a lot of it's it's going to be a long road to that. I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's a lifelong project because there's so many. It's so pervasive in the whole yeah. culture and the whole way all of the systems are set up that work together. You know. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, insurance on its own, like. I think I saw a meme or something today that said like the whole idea that you like that like insurance is a benefit and that like sick days like, people are people yeah. just people that are uh, uh, on strike trying to get some sick days. You know, it's yes. like like <laughs> that they should just be a given. Yes. You know, why yeah. are these things like perks of your job? You know, it's really right. like here in Sweden. Sweden has its own problems, but as far as those kinds of things, it's so good because it's like. Uh, everybody here if you work full-time you get five weeks off a year of paid vacation and you you have to take your weeks off you can't like sit and hoard them you know it's like they're like no people need five weeks off from work a year so like you have to take your weeks off that's amazing
1: that is that's so amazing yeah yeah it's it's crazy to me that it's not just a human right You know, like rest and relaxation needs to be a human right. Because again, like if trauma and stress are at the core of every single type of illness, that's because we're not resting and we're not taking time to, to relax and to be in our parasympathetic nervous system. Like we're constantly on the go. We're constantly in fight or flight. We're constantly working and hustling and doing all these other things. And I think over time that really does destroy the body and the mind. Um, so yeah, to, to have people who don't get that
0: human right is insane to me um
1: yeah yeah, it's it's most
0: of the world and and yeah that's a good point too because it it probably goes together because also the government i mean it comes to the taxes and everyone has this idea like oh but you live in sweden the taxes are so much Taxes mm-hmm. <laughs> set the yes. record straight for everyone. It's 30%. It's yep. actually less than I was paying when I lived in New York City. So because yep. yep. in New York City you have government federal tax, state tax, and yes. city tax. Yes. Actually, less taxes here. It's 30% across the board. End of yep. story. The corporations pay their 30% too. That helps mm-hmm. everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much you make or how little you make, it's 30%. So. Yep that's how it yep. is and then for your 30 percent, you get like healthcare. everything's covered and the, yes. and the prescriptions have a max of two it's the same equivalent of two hundred dollars a year so once oh, you've wow. paid out of pocket well yeah. first of all the you don't have to pay out of pocket at all there's still like five dollars copay for your prescription basically okay. every time you get a prescription it's like five dollars copay and then once the five dollars has added up to two hundred dollars for the year mm-hmm. you have no copay
1: Wow, <laughs> that's how your prescriptions work. Oh my work. goodness, yeah,
0: yeah. But it probably goes together because, yes. you know, if people, if the government is paying for the health care then they want mm-hmm. people to be healthy, right? Okay. So they mm-hmm. probably did some scientific research that showed that if people, you know, took this many weeks off of work, yeah, oh they yeah, were in better shape mentally and and physically because, as you yes. said, your mental health and physical health goes together. We are we are a system, you know. Yes, they're not yeah. separate. And yep. so, yeah, they probably just found out that people feel better and are better and healthier at that amount of time off for years. So so then it ends up costing the government less yep. health care. So they want they want you to be healthy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think. Yeah, there's just so much. I mean, talk about trauma at a systems level, too. Like, to me, trauma is like all about disconnection. And I think in the U.S., just listening to you talk about how things are over by you, I think in the U.S., we're just such a disconnected culture and such a disconnected system. Like, we don't recognize people as people, you know, um, we're completely disconnected from, from ourselves, from others, from our world. Um, and I think that makes it easier to just say like, well, you know, sorry that you don't have healthcare. Like that's too bad. We're not going to do anything
0: to help you because we don't see people as people. Um, yeah, that's, that's true, and as a system as well. Like not in the systems, but like people are all connected to each other, like you mm-hmm, said, to mm-hmm. the land. You know, like the. Yes. Like I've thought about it a lot too. Has so, is so disconnected from the land because right. these people came from somewhere else and committed genocide. Yeah, people whose land that that is. And yep. so like the land is angry people are very disconnected, very disconnected from their history. Mm-hmm. they don't really teach you like the full history. they just teach yep. you this like little segment of American history that's what they yep. go over and over again. And so they they yeah it's like we're, we're so disconnected from our roots, the land, other people, the fact that the, the, the way the country was founded. Um, yeah, it's really it's really disconnected. that's the perfect Absolutely. word for it. Yeah and by design. By design.
1: Yes. By design for sure. Um, And I think too, like, this is why I like tarot cards and oracle decks so much because it helps us feel more connected to the greater world around us. At least for me, it does, you know? And I think we also suffer from like a disconnection from um, our own inherent divinity and like spirituality. I'm big into spirituality. I know not everybody is, but I do think all human beings, regardless of <clears throat> of their beliefs or their religious um, convictions, I think all human beings need a sense of connectedness, whether that's with nature or with other people, with relationships, with a God. Um, yeah, I think Oracle decks and tarot cards for me have been so healing because they've helped me reconnect to myself. They've actually helped me connect to other people. Like I've done a lot of tarot readings and Oracle readings for like friends or people in treatment with me. Um, And just the connection that you get with people when you talk through some of this stuff is pretty amazing. Um, And then in general, I think for me, tarot and and Oracle decks have been very spiritual. Like I feel a connection with a greater, um, you know, divinity out there um, all around us at all times. And I think that's kind of why this work that I'm doing with like eating disorders and mental health um, lends itself so well to things like tarot or things like oracle decks because they're all about connection and reconnection.
0: Yeah, and it's also a good point that you said too like also connecting to ourselves because we've been mm-hmm. taught like not to trust their intuition or not to trust oh, yeah. these kind of like spiritual experiences that we yes. have or synchronicities that we might notice like by the mental health field in particular people say yeah. like oh well don't look don't think that there's any meaning or connection between these events and what's going on in your life because then you're like on this road to psychosis you know yeah. <laughs> and so it's actually told people taught people through this conditioning not to trust your own experience and what you're noticing in your own perceptions which yes. is really like yeah and just to, to believe whatever the society has told you is like rational to believe Absolutely. And that's really messed people up.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's messed me up. I think for such a long time, I was so intellectual and um, I was over rationalizing everything. And I really lost, like that's when I really lost a connection with myself. Um, Cause I, I was ignoring the emotional side of things, the spiritual side of things. I was ignoring my own intuition um, yeah, we totally are taught that this is all, you know, it's woo woo. Don't pay attention to it. Like you said, you're going to be on the road to psychosis, which
0: is so not even true.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. what a
0: horrible thing was like, oh, you're going to have this chronic condition yeah. that's lifelong that you that has like no treatment. Yeah. If you if you notice some if you if you talk to your dead grandmother or notice like some sort of synchronicity in your life, you know.
1: Yeah. And also how stigmatizing. Right. Like, oh, we don't want to be like that. That's horrible. Um, Yeah. It's just there's so many things that need to be um, worked on, I think.
0: So what are some of the cards? Do you want to talk about some of the specific cards? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I've kind of tried to break the deck down. Like I said, I'm focusing on disease versus wellness. So really trauma versus healing. Um And so I tried to kind of, I got some inspiration from tarot because the tarot has the major arcana and the minor arcana cards. Um, I don't have that in my Oracle deck, but I do have some cards that I would consider major cards. So like major themes and then minor cards or minor themes. So for me, the major cards are the ones that have to do with disease and wellness. Um, So that would be uh, trauma, disconnection, fear and shame on the disease side. And then um, on the wellness side, it's healing, connection, safety, and love. And those are, that's really the major theme of the entire deck. Because I, I think of, like I mentioned earlier, I think of trauma as disconnection. And how does that disconnection occur? Well, a lot of times it's just fear and shame. You know, there's so much like fear around even existing and then so much shame about who we are. And that causes, I think, a lot of trauma and disconnection. Um, and then on the wellness side, I think healing is all about connection, reconnection um, to ourselves, to others, to the world, to the divine. Um, and how does that connection occur? Well, it occurs through safety and love. Um, so those are the kind of like the major themes that I like to focus on in this deck. And then the minor cards are um, basically just words that really stood out to me in treatment. Um, things like um, acceptance. Acceptance. So that would be things like self-acceptance, but also acceptance of reality as it is. I think a lot of times mental illness is all about being unable to accept reality as it is, being unable to accept ourselves as we are, and um, trying to almost like dissociate or separate ourselves from that through things like an eating disorder. Um, so yeah, a card would be acceptance or nourishment, um, growth, space. So one of the cards that I really love is, um, that I felt really inspired making is called space. And it's one of the minor cards and, um, it's all about being allowed to take up space, um, and not having to make yourself small. So I think that kind of encompasses what my journey has been like with my own eating disorder. Um, yeah, I just have phrases on on each card that, um, are kind of like affirmations that remind me and other people, hopefully, um, about what's important. So the space card is, I don't have to make myself small um, and I am allowed to take up space. So that's really kind of the gist of, of the Oracle deck.
0: Wonderful. And is there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to be sure to mention?
1: Yeah. If if you don't mind, I would like to mention a few things about eating disorders in general that I think, yeah, people get wrong or or myths um, that the diet industry perpetuates Um, so one of the big things that was super surprising to me, even being in this field and knowing what I know about mental health, I didn't know a whole lot about eating disorders. I think because we have such a limited view on them and we have such a, you know, the DSM looks at them in such a limited way, we kind of place them in boxes, but eating disorders are extremely complex. Um, and one of the things I learned in treatment is that, eating disorders are one of um, the mental illnesses that have the highest uh, mortality rates, which I didn't realize. And that's not just for like anorexia. A lot of people think like, yeah, that makes sense. If you're anorexic, you probably have a really high mortality rate. Yes. Anorexia is probably the worst in terms of mortality rate. Like it's got the highest rate of mortality, but all eating disorders actually have a really high rate of mortality. Um, And I think they only come in second to like opioid um, addictions, you know? So the death rate is insane when it comes to eating disorders, which I did not realize. The other part of it was that I learned that only 6% of people with eating disorders are actually underweight. So I think we need to get rid of this idea that you're fine and you don't have an eating disorder unless you're underweight. And unfortunately the DSM, the way it quantifies eating disorders, I think it, it perpetuates this idea that like you have to be a certain BMI, which by the way, the BMI is total BS. That's a whole nother topic of conversation, but it doesn't even make sense that we use the BMI to measure health. Um, It was created by a mathematician, not even a medical doctor. So I don't really know why we use it, but regardless, um, yeah, the DSM saying that you have to be a certain BMI to qualify for an eating disorder just makes no sense because only 6% of people are underweight, people who have eating disorders. Most people who have eating disorders are average weight or overweight. And eating disorders are not about your weight. They're a psychological disease. You know, like they are, they're all about like the mental compulsions and um, the behavioral um. The behavioral things that we engage in that hurt our mental health, which then ultimately hurt our bodies. So yeah, we need to let go of that, that stuff for sure. Um, I just think there's a lot of misconceptions about them. And oh, another misconception I should mention too, before we wrap up is that eating disorders are a choice um, or that, you know, they're, they're all about Body image—they're all about being thin or looking a certain way. That's a huge misconception too. Um, I think for me personally, my eating disorder was really functional for a while. It was a way for me to—it um, was a way for me to just kind of survive in the world. I—I I had a very—I had some traumatic things that occurred in my childhood, and I think. My body was just kind of used to being in that chronic stress mode because of that. And my eating disorder was a way to maintain that homeostasis. It was a way to maintain the chronic stress that I've always experienced. Um, Yes, there was a piece of it for me where I wanted to weigh a certain amount or to look a certain way but that wasn't, that was just the surface level reasoning for my eating disorder. Um, I think for me, it was more about like maintaining this inner sense of chaos that I had become so accustomed to. Um, and also there's a lot of like self-hatred in eating disorders. Um, it's, there's a lot of like self-destruction. Um, so yeah, eating disorders are much more complex than I think the media typically portrays them to be. And I'm hoping that with my Oracle deck, I can, um, you know, dismantle some of those myths and actively fight against diet culture.
0: Yeah, and even like you said in the mental health field, like when you become a psychologist, unless you specifically specialize mm-hmm. in it, you don't get that much about it. It's like, okay, here's a chapter about it, and you know, that's it. Like I, I yeah. had the uh, privilege of working in a, at a university, part of my. Uh, job there was to work like uh, as part of the eating disorders clinic mm. and like run a group and things like that but really after I left that uh, position I, I haven't really you know encountered anything like in the hospital settings or anything unless you specifically go and yes. work in the field you yes. only get that experiential work that way and in in studying not that oh, much yeah. at all I, I didn't even have a class on eating
1: disorders or if it was mentioned in like my psychopathology class, we very briefly covered it in like one lecture. Mm. Um, yeah. There isn't a whole lot of education on it, which is really scary because there are um, medical providers out there and people, professionals who work with eating disorders who would estimate that 99% of people in the United States, at least, or in this culture have disordered eating habits you know so yeah maybe they don't qualify for an eating disorder diagnosis uh, the way that it's defined by the DSM but 99% the majority of the population has a disordered relationship with their bodies and with food so to me it's scary that like only the people who want to specifically work in this area are are the ones who are learning anything about it because guess what the chances are Most of your patients, if not all of your patients, probably have some disordered body image or disordered relationship with with food and their bodies. So we need to do a better job educating trainees in this area.
0: Absolutely. And looking at people more holistically. Yes. Oh, yeah.
1: For sure, that's such an issue. <laughs> yeah, we're not just brains walking around, or we're not just bodies walking around the way the medical field might want us to believe, or the way psychology unfortunately oftentimes wants us to believe. Um, we're a whole human being. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. A lot of I think of our physical issues are, you know, they're definitely stress related and related to yeah. this kind of capitalist lifestyle. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the
0: consumerist
1: lifestyle, I think is like slowly killing all of us and not even slowly, sometimes very quickly killing all of
0: us. Yeah. Um, and the planets, like and, a, oh, the planet. mass, mass suicide, Yeah, mass suicide, genocide, ecocide. A- actually. Yeah. yeah. Actually,
1: you know, you could look at it as, you know, yeah. Eating disorders metaphorically, are you not even metaphorically? Like realistically it's you killing yourself slowly um that's what we're doing on a mass scale i think that's such a good point um yeah even with like things like climate change and destroying the environment
2: Absolutely. Well, on that note, yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but my conversations often end up this way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't think people like, want I'm me to. I'm super fun out, at parties, yeah.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, people do not want me to come to dinner with them because this is all I talk about is like mental health. And I actually did my dissertation on climate change <laughs> and the psychological impacts of climate change. So this is like always in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that's fun for <laughs> that you're working on that too.
1: Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, that was a hard topic to get through, um, and it, I think I would have gotten done with my dissertation a long time ago if I had chosen a, an easier topic. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, intense, but definitely needed research. So yes, very needed. Yep. Absolutely. No, is there anything else? Anything else?
1: Um, I don't think so. Um I guess people can find me on Instagram. Um if they would like to follow my work. My username on Instagram is the underscore psylosopher. So that's P-S Y L O S O P H E R. It's kind of like a combination of psychology and philosophy. Um and it's a great yeah, title. I do. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I post a lot on Instagram, so you can follow me there. And you can check out my Kickstarter, uh, the Nourished Heart Oracle. Um, that link is also in my Instagram bio.
0: Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Lara Robu. Follow her at Instagram at The and support her Kickstarter for her Nourished Heart Oracle deck. Links to everything can be found in the liner notes for this episode and at the main website, renderingunconscious.org. And now, Lunacy, part of the soundtrack accompanying the film of the same name, a collaboration I did with Carl Abrahamson. Available at highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com Enjoy.
2: The Creator. She is present. She is not in there in the on. She is never enough. She is not being they what guides him into life and of the singular world. This deity physical is solely for procreation and any sexual act intention was considered to be. Method brings us closer team. The the use agreed with this definition of, if there ever was one, the walk around the block and take me to the moon doesn't easily submit hidden strata of the soul an electronic screen can never compete because it's relying on the content interactions it's someone else's places The longer the distance from the moon in both time and known as for a space that new generations experience. The less likely it is that human contemplative ability will remain as such. If a capacity isn't used and exercised, it will dwindle and die. First formed during the child, appears sexuality is a force of I am just one of those first issue of hard and fertile that said the moon might then actually be quite good right yet covertly very active just inside Manhattan counterforce to this contemporary negation of life women in general artists sensitives, and poets. Actually, I know you're doing out history. Have been highly aware of the moon and its relevance, and have adapted to it in afternoon and around the clock, and inspiration. Again, the lysanthropic filter needs to be applied. Moon madness centered in Italy. Varying degrees and cultural shapes signify the inability to handle those aspects of the human on contemporary psyche, sensitivity, inspiration, non-utilitarian creativity, etc. The response becomes compensating wherever and solar phallic, unusually gathered together of, reprecious and feral. For the insensitive, tricky as the moon becomes, something pallid, useless and terrifying in its mysteriousness, something you weigh sometimes. There is something about anxiety that protects its subject, which makes everything bright and simple again. So much alike against fright and so against fright neuroses. We shall return to this point later. Wolf is also soaked in blood. This ferocity and would take too long Bloodlust, essentially of its functions the all the on with a female shedding of blood guided see was the waves sexuality and is of the earth by lunar forces and relating to fertility would make Sigmund Freud and later psychoanalysts nod for superstitious their heads perhaps not an approval of the phenomena itself but certainly as a validation of the theory that sex and aggression are two sides of the same coin rope as the whips strike her bare shoulders she cries out Severine Pierre Pierre I beg of you don't let the cat's finishes. It constrains the mobility of desire. Have experimented. I want to be a gray rabbit. Where much has been written about human development and dietary habits in times when sigil while in a state of gnosis induced by orgasm pain, meditation, vegetarians and carnivores coexisted, and somehow applying a simplified I've got my angel, filter, I believe that much, ten of cups, wolf mythology, in relation to the moon, it's like I've been screening, early human sexual trauma of us at least what peaceful vegetarian agrarian tribes could defend and there was smell the themselves better in the psychoanalysis ferocious human entities but at night with the serene painting a eh? best you can Moon acting as an exist, was easier to attack, loot, and rape. The survival instinct is steel by a gate, and the not a static constant. It positions, also with, and is transmitted onwards partly in DNA and stationary, enacting. Through mythology to help future generations survive. The strong association between nighttime and the aforesaid manner of thee will retain the eyes of the moon. Blood and sexual assault is not a consciously formulated fear or pleasure to take lightly. Gross and unclean, earthiness human eye it's ingrained deeply within us ontology founded cleansed from all corrupting darts in its milky to Kenneth Grant two of you have ending burrows. we are and subtilbating the pure sub the idea that this is sinful to shed the blood that is life retains in the course of the transition a crown of a bright from the vegetarian to the carnivore, and the belief that expiatory rites are required to avert the mysterious runic, like grounded magnets, polarities, or a tour through rural looks. We can see a pattern. Others in every possible way. pan Not dead. I. Out. The words.